through April, we're going to be looking at living, giving and forgiving, or giving, living and forgiving. And we're going to be coming at it from a few different angles. And so this week, we are going to be looking at giving. It's something that we don't talk about a lot as a church. We're going to think of particularly giving resources. And so we're going to be thinking of money and treasure. Uh, There are three T's that we sometimes talk about. Uh, There's our time. There's our talents, so the gifts that we've got, the things that we're passionate about, we're able to to do, skills that we've got. And there's our treasure, which would be our money, our possessions, those sort of the things that God has entrusted us. And so the the central message of the Bible is that we are stewards. Uh, We are kind of, we've been entrusted these resources by God to glorify him. So we've been given the, the, the time and the places that we live, the jobs that we've got, and that we can appropriate that to either kind of focus on ourselves or focus on God. There's different elements. So you see a lot of times there's these parables in the Bible where Jesus talks about like the workers in fields or in houses and how they either glorify themselves or they glorify God. They either use the talents and they hide them or they use them to glorify God and they multiply them. And so we can do that with our time, the way that we serve in the church perhaps or even in our community, maybe with the way that we love our family and our neighbours is a great way of looking at the time we've been allotted by God, the years that we've been given on the earth we're not here for ourselves. We're here to fulfill the mission of God in our day and age. And so we can use our time. We can use our talents. God has gifted us and equipped us in lots of different ways. We've all got unique gifts and talents. Some of them very visible and obvious. Some of them may be quite hidden and they need developing. There might be things that you're really passionate about. Um, I've, just, I've been talking to some people about maybe growing in leadership. And they're like, I really want to do that. But it's really difficult to do at the moment. And so there's a gift that's in there that maybe wants to be expressed and to grow. And and so we can use our talents as a way of serving and loving and honouring God. We've got people who serve in the church as trustees, people who are great with governance, who literally use their skills in in a very practical way to help serve the church in the way that we have to do as a charity. We have others who maybe help use the tech, who are good at doing tech. We have others who welcome people, people who are setting up stuff. We've got people that uh, use their gift of the gab to talk and to preach and to speak. Um, the mouthpiece of the body in a way but God's given us our time our talent and he's also given us treasure Um, sometimes when we work we can think oh look all this money I've got how am I going to spend it what toys am I going to get myself how am I going to spend all of this and actually what we see in the Bible is that the, the, the message that comes through again and again and again is that God has entrusted us resources to in some way glorify him I often hear people say about how blessed they are and about all the trinkets they've managed to acquire, but there's often not an outflow then into the life of either the church or into the life of the local community. Look how blessed I am. Whereas actually when God talks about blessing Abraham, that he would be the father of many nations, and the blessing is that Abraham would be blessed so that the world would be blessed through him. That he would be a conduit of the grace and the blessing of God from heaven to the earth. And so if you think of a body of water, like a pond or a river or a lake, when that body of water ceases to move anymore, it like gets filled up, but the water stays stagnant, it doesn't go anywhere. What happens with stagnant water? It starts to stink after a while, doesn't it? And, and there, there is something, maybe, I, I was trying to think of the best way of putting it. I'm going to use the word putrid. You might want to Google it, I don't even know what it means, but, it, it, but it's got the sound of when you say it, putrid. Sometimes when you like, like we've had it in our house where we've had a plant pot that's had a load of water put in it, it's been overwatered, and you go into the house, you go, what is that smell? It's like disgusting. 
And you go over and like, I thought plants were meant to smell nice. And you, you, you like breathe in deeply and there's all this stagnant, rotten water in it. And, and like when the blessing of God is poured into people's lives, but it sits and resides there, it can often get offensive because it's meant to flow out. It's meant to be a flow. And then actually there's this amazing story that I just want to share with you very quickly. Um, where are we looking? Yeah, I saw this on the internet and I thought it was a kind of a great example of this. There was a guy called R.G. Letourneau. I don't know how you pronounce that. R.G. Letourneau. Who was around in the 19th century. And he was a Christian industrialist who dedicated his life to being a businessman for God. So this guy was around in the Industrial Revolution and he dedicated his life for being a businessman for God. So just to say, like, some of you will have jobs. You can use your job to glorify God. You haven't got to give up your job and work for the church. A lot of people think the higher calling is to preach the word of God and work it for a church. Actually, the, the best calling of God on your life is to be Jesus where you're at. Often Jesus would move in someone's life and he'd say, no, 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 don't leave and follow me. Stay where you're at and preach the gospel to this village. Preach the gospel to these people. So this guy wanted to be a businessman for God and he was hugely successful. He designed and developed his own line of earth-moving equipment, like big, heavy equipment for the Industrial Revolution. He was the maker of nearly 300 inventions and he had hundreds of patents in his lifetime. And as he succeeded financially, he increased his giving to the point where he was giving 90% of his income to the Lord's work. And uh, there was this quote that I absolutely loved. It said, I shovel out the money... And God shovels it in, but God has a bigger shovel. I really love that. I shovel out the money, but God shovels it in quicker. He has a bigger shovel. And, uh, and often a lot of us think, man, alive, like, I struggle to give, you know, like, maybe any money, or 5%, 10%. Have any of you heard of Rick Warren? Got Rick Warren, Purpose Driven Church, Purpose Driven Life. Uh, Rick Warren, he's done this amazing thing where he's now reverse tithing. So everything that his church has ever given him, he now, because he's been hugely successful in this book that's gone on to sell ridiculous amounts of copies, you know, it's right up there, like behind the Bible, a few books behind it, being one of the best books ever written, a Christian one. Um, he reversed tithes. So all the money the church has ever given him, he's paid back and some. And so he's not sort of like, oh, I'm living off of the church. He's actually like managed to tithe to the point where he's no longer dependent on, on the church to support him. And so a lot of us, as we talk about giving, it's, it's funny, I did think in my heart, I bet there's not many people there when I'm preaching on giving. It's often the one you want the whole church to hear and it's often the one where like somehow, mysteriously, everyone knows what's coming up and they're not around and um, so I just want to share a few little thoughts before I get you to look at your verses um, so ma- many of us struggle with the idea of giving um, why, why do we struggle with that? I think it's perhaps because we've been conditioned in some way to, to think of like holding back it's almost like that we say if I give I won't have enough for my own needs you know like some of us we, we may have made decisions in life that have got us in a position where maybe we've got debt that we have to service. We've got commitments that we, we, we need to fulfil. We've got a mortgage we need to pay. We've got bills that we need to pay. We, we, you know, like it's not, it, when we talk about giving, it's often like there's always a story, isn't there, in every life, in every heart, about the, the, the challenges of it. That's the reality of it. And, and so 
but I really want to speak into that this morning, kind of, because it's so important, actually, on a foundational level. And so we can often think, if I give, I won't have enough for my own needs or for my own family. And so we can often cling to the things that God's entrusted us, our, our, our possessions, our time, our talents. You know, we think, I haven't got enough time. I can't give any more time to anything else. Or that there's not enough month left at the end of the money. You know, like there's more money left at the end of the month. You know, well, there's just not enough. And so we can cling on to these things. And the more wealth we have, the more secure we can feel. We might maybe want to store stuff up in barns, to use a biblical metaphor. You know, we might want to kind of like, oh, we've got to make sure we've got a big buffer in the bank. Um, you know, let's make sure, I don't know, we've got £500, £5,000, £50,000. That number will be different for all of us, but we might think we need a buffer in the bank. As a church, that's something that we have to have a reserves policy. We've got enough, hopefully enough in the bank to cover two or three months worth of bills. And we can think like that as families. Can't we? We've got to make sure. And in some ways, we begin to trust in ourselves and our own self-management rather than the provision of God. We think it's all on us. This is our stuff. We've worked hard for this. And if I've got anything left at the end of the month on the table, well, God can have the crumbs off the, off the plate rather than the meat and steak on the plate. You know, we can often think that there's, you know, like this is ours. And we'll do with it what we, we decide. It's quite a shock when we see what Jesus says about riches. Jesus preached more on resources and money than he did about faith. I think also more than he did about than prayer. I think it's just hell is the thing that he preached about more than giving. There's so much that he talks about giving and generosity. It's quite, it's quite a, an important thing. And he turns everything that maybe like for us it's a real challenge in our day and age. We live in a very consumeristic culture. And the world around us tells us, really, that we're to acquire things. The right house, the right car, the right stuff in the house. You know, tech is a real killer, isn't it? You know, like, if you're like an Apple fanboy like me, you, you know, you've got to have the right phone, you've got to have the right watch, you've got to have the right computer. You know, there's all, all these things. And what, one of the challenges can be, like, whether or not we actually own things or whether they actually own us. You know, there, there becomes this sort of challenge where... Before we know it, we fall into this materialistic thing that we are because of, not because of who we are, but because of what we have. And so then we end up feeling that we've got to keep up with the Joneses, we've got to have a, project a certain image through the clothes that we wear, through the, we, we have this conversation with our kids, you know, it's a real challenge. The trainers have gone up from 50 quid ones to 150 quid ones, you know, and you're like, you know, I've just spent 50 quid on these and they've lasted longer than your 150 pounds, what are you doing? And there's all that. We have it as a, as like with me and Lewis particularly, like the football club we support every year. You've got another three football shirts to buy, fifty quid a pop each. There's, you know, there's all this sort of stuff. And you know, oh, oh, he's got an old shirt. I've got a new shirt. Yeah. And, and you have a. It sounds ridiculous, but it's about projecting the right image, isn't it? We often buy things to to kind of please people that don't really care about what we've got or not, but we're trying to pr- project an image. And so what I want us to do, like, hopefully we're just sort of opening the door a little bit. There's all these encouragements. And so I've picked five different biblical examples. Four from the New Testament, stories that Jesus shared, and one from the Old Testament. And I just want us to look at them on our table. We're just going to have five minutes just to talk about them on our table. What does it say about God? What does it say about man? Is there a promise in there? Is there a command in there? These are four questions we can ask. What does it say about God or man? Is there a promise or a command? And let's just spend a few minutes. What, 
what does Jesus say about giving? And then we're just going to like land that and, uh, and talk about a few little bits around it. And hopefully you'll be encouraged by the end of it rather than feeling chastised. Um, and so let's just spend a, a few minutes doing that now. That'd be great. Five, four, three, two, one. Back in the room. Right, okay. So um, what we're going to do is we're just going to go around each of the tables and we're just going to get one, if you could do the running around, love. Is that all right? Um, and so the, the first, I'm just going to paraphrase quickly, the first table, you had the story of the rich young ruler. And so some of you will know this story. is a rich young man. He was a ruler. He went up to Jesus and said, I'm like really religious. I'm, I'm doing really well. I, I pray. I fast. I go to the temple all the time. I know the, the word of God. You know, sort of like I'm ticking all the boxes. I'm like a really good church going guy. Um, and what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he goes up to Jesus, asks that question. And Jesus says, you're doing really, really well. Well done. Um, now sell all you have and give it to the poor. And the rich young ruler was like, seriously and literally it says that his heart was broken he turned around and went the other way Jesus used this guy as an example both to the disciples who were with him but also to us he said it's it's harder for someone who's got a lot of resources for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven Um, because of the I think like we were saying that grip of stuff it can often rule our heart Um, for this guy his, his identity was placed in that and so this was the story that these guys have got who's going to feed back for us we recognise that actually um, when Jesus was speaking to the man, he was dealing with the heart attitude because the reality is he doesn't need the money, but it's about trusting God and not the money. So that's what Jesus was talking to really. And also, um, he said that God likes a cheerful giver, mm. so he, he wants us to be able to do it freely. I just shared an experience I had as I was praying this week about just asking God to help me be able to sort of focus and care about other people more than what I do myself. And I heard him sort of talk about like sometimes we do that because we want to preserve ourselves and protect ourselves, but actually God's given us the freedom to give and to love because He preserves us. So it kind of went well with what the revelation I had this week. <laughs> That's brilliant. No, thank you. Thank you, Danielle. Uh, that was really good. So the, the one the thing I wanted to... I'm going to try and draw out one thing from each of these five stories. I thought if I was tr- going to draw out one thing, what Jesus is asking for from us is everything. It's, it's all of us. It's everything. He loves the fact that this guy, he's giving him his time, his, his, his heart in worship, his heart in reading the Word. Um, but there's this area of this guy's life that's a bit locked off. And Jesus hasn't got access to it. And he knows it. And so for some of us, we may be really generous givers... And Jesus is saying, well, that's brilliant, but would you come and talk to me? Would you come to me in the morning? Would you pray? Would you offer your, your situations and your fears to me? We might be like really generous giving stuff, but actually we've got no relationship with God. It's the same thing. Jesus is saying, I want everything. I want all of you. I don't want there to be any area that I've not got access to. Not because Jesus is trying to make us less by taking things from us, but we'll see in a minute that what God wants to do is actually pour out his blessing into our life in a way that we could never imagine. And actually, when we leave, like, imagine a house, when we leave doors of our life locked up and we prevent Jesus from having access to it, what we're actually doing is, is like restricting his grace from entering into that area of our life. I sometimes joke, and it's, um, it's, I quite like it, it's a bit cheeky, if I may. I sometimes joke that the last thing to get saved in a person's life is their wallet. And what we should do is when we baptise people, we should baptise them with their wallet. 
as well because the wallets need to experience resurrection life. They seriously do. And uh, the danger is, like, for a lot of us, we've got things like Apple Pay and Google Pay. And, um, oh, I just said Apple Pay, and it's now talking to me. Um, but we don't want our phones to explode because our wallets are on our phone and we're baptising people with tech in their pocket. Right, the next table you had um, the widow's mite, which was over here, was it? And so this one, I'm just going to paraphrase this. And so Jesus and the disciples are stood outside of the, of the, the sort of temple and people are coming in and they're giving all their money and people are chucking in loads of money and they're doing it in a way that can be seen. You know, they're chucking in, you know, 50s are going in, big wadges of notes. And then uh, a lady comes up um, and she puts in two small copper coins. It says worth a couple of cents, maybe a penny. And uh, Jesus says that to his disciples, again, he uses her as an example to us and to his disciples. This lady's giving, he says, look, these guys have given out of their plenty and and have done it quite showy, but she has given out of, she's given me everything. It might not be a lot numerically, but actually it's everything. She's held nothing back. So thinking of the the example that you guys had, it's the same thing. What does Jesus want? Let's start asking again, what does Jesus want? Everything. He wants everything. And he uses this lady as an amazing example. She didn't have a lot, but she gave him everything. What did you guys get out of this story for us? Who's going to feed back? Okay, so we looked at God. We looked at God, man, promise, and command. And we came up with that the promise is that if you give with you, the blessings come. When you give, you get a blessing. The blessing of you has to come from your heart. So when you give, you give everything because people are... You give everything because the people are. Irrespective of whether people are watching or not, you give everything. Doesn't matter. That's great, yeah. So Jesus wants everything, not because he's greedy, but because he deserves it. He literally deserves it. And there's, like, again, we'll see in a minute, there's a blessing that comes as we do it. There's a song um, called Simple Living. I can't remember who, who wrote it. But it's got this line in it, and, I, and it's about this very story that we've just read, the widow giving her everything, her two coins. Now, Jesus sat by the offering gate as people brought... I won't sing it. Jesus sat by the offering gate as people brought their money. The rich, they filled the collection plate. The widow gave a penny. Now she's outgiven all the rest. Her gift was all that she possessed. And this is the bit I like. Not what you give, but what you keep. That's what the king is counting. Not what you give, but what you keep. That's what the king is counting. Imagine we've been entrusted resources. Jesus is saying, do you believe that all of this is mine? And actually the way that we handle our resources and our money really determines whether or not it has us or whether or not we have it. Who's in control? Is the stuff in control of us or are we in control of the stuff? And when it's all laid at Jesus' feet, there's then an incredible blessing that wants to come through that. And I love how Jesus isn't like... Wave your gift in the air. Those who've given a thousand, you're going to get a thousand back. Jesus isn't like that. I've been to churches where that is. That's putrid. I'm not into that. The Bible doesn't talk about that. It's not about the amount, it's about the heart. We're not to be showy in our giving. We're meant to do it so the left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing. The Lord will bless your giving. If you open the door to your finances, to your time, to your gifts... And you say, God, I'm giving you the little that I've got. I'm giving you my two pennies worth. 
He will use that in a way that you would never believe that is possible. You'll have far more at the end of it than you did at the beginning of it. You'll be more blessed at the end of it than at the beginning of it. You won't have less in your heart. You'll be overjoyed. God loves a joyful giver. As we give, he gives us the joy that we've never got before. It's an amazing thing. It doesn't make sense, but it's what happens. We, I want to be careful about how I present this, because otherwise it can seem a little bit... But I can wholeheartedly stand in front of you as the leader of this church and say that we are living in the good of this. As a family, for the last 15, 20 years, as long as we've been married, 2006, we've, we've always tithed, we've always tried to up it and up it to the point where it's sacrificial and it's painful... I was going through yesterday, we've probably given nearly £100,000 over, over our lifetime that we've been married. Not because that's, wow, look at us. But we've lived in the good of it. The Lord has provided. We've got an amazing house. We, we've got all that we need. We've not, maybe not got what we want. I've not got the Tesla that I'd love. And that hundred grand that could get me a nice Tesla X. You know, like that would be a... But we've lived in the good of seeing God provide again and again and again in supernatural ways. He's provided fence panels when we didn't even have 20 quid when we were first married and we didn't have kids because we gave when there was an offering and then the, someone bought us some fence panels. It was like, how did you even know we needed them? It's just amazing. We'd saved up money to, to get our driveway done. We had about £5,000 saved up. And we were going through a leadership training thing with some friends. This is a Cornerstone City Church. We found out that our friends were in debt. And for, for us, like kind of the way that we see the, the church of God being led is that it's led by mums and dads who are, who are setting the bar. They're setting the example in their prayer life, in the way they way read, read the word of God, in their giving, in their sacrificial living. Like people that are doing the stuff, you know, that are able then to teach kind of the church family to do the same. And this couple were in, were in debt. And we found out they weren't giving because they were in debt. We were like, oh, that's terrible. So we had a chat with our kids and we said, look, like our friends, they're in debt. Should, should we like not have the driveway done and we'll pay their debt off? What do you think? And, uh, and it cost us our driveway. We didn't get to have the driveway done. It took us a long, long time to save up for the driveway to be done. And then we, we made a decision as a family. We thought this is a great example for our kids that we could do it. And, like, and like, free our friends up from the weight of debt so that they could then like, live in the freedom of that. Because that's what Jesus has done for us. How could we not do the same? Jesus has paid our debt. So like, it's easy. We just pay their debt. It's fine. And, then, and so we, we did that. And then literally it had taken us years to save that money up. This is our house in Gillingham. Within a few months, we'd somehow mysteriously managed to save up the same amount. And we still got to have the driveway done, which was crazy. But our friends were now living in liberty. Not, not with that. And so if you're, you're in debt this morning, and you're not giving because there's not, not enough there but you want to but you you don't know how you could please come and talk to us with complete liberty and, co- and confidence that we will help you in whatever way we can I'm not saying we've got five grand to pay your debts off <laughs> but whatever we can do we will help if it's helping you to budget one of the things we even talk to cap debt clients about and we try and get it right in when people are in debt is start honoring god with your finances because you'll find somehow you end up with more at the end of it. We encourage them to try and save 10%, give 10%, and then live off of 80%. We, we encourage our kids to do the same. We're trying to do the same. And I'd encourage you as families, if you're not doing this yet, sit down and seriously talk about it as a family. How, could we get to that point? You might only start off like 1%, 2%. 
But every year, try and up it. I've got a friend who leads a church in Stockholm, Phil Whittle, and he, I remember him early on in our marriage, uh, he came along and he was saying about his family, how they, every year, they try and up their giving by 1%. And I was like, man, that's crazy. He was like, yeah, we're up, up to about 20, 25%, and it's painful now. He was like, it's got to the point where it's really sacrificial. He was like, in the early days, it was really easy, but now we're at the point where it's biting. A bit like that guy we heard the story of giving 90%. I'm sure he didn't start there. And it's easier, like, if you've got millions of pounds, well, of course, you know, I could give 90%. But try and start somewhere and, and believe God. Like, open the door, unlock the door and say, Jesus, come and do what you want to do in our finances, in our family. Because there's a blessing in it, not just for you, but for those who are then going to benefit from those resources. Um, it's something that with a very clear conscience, I can encourage you and implore you to do. Not because I'll be the beneficiary of it. I'm employed by the church, just to add a caveat. Three and a half days a week, half a day a week, we tithe to relational mission. I'm helping someone with some church planting stuff. And three days for the local church. The rest of it, I volunteer. Um, Natalie is a TA in a school four days a week. She doesn't earn a lot. And uh, and at the moment, we're foster carers, and and that changes in in September. Um, And so... We're living in faith. We came here not knowing that we'd have a job or anything like that. God's provided. We didn't know we'd have a home. God's provided. Trust God with your finances. Don't leave it to yourself to try and manage those resources. One example, I think Gordon downplayed it a little bit about some of the trials we've had as a family and as a marriage couple financially. Um, there was a time when Gordon was out of work six weeks and it was just my income coming in and we could just about pay the bills um, but we couldn't afford food so that, that was an interesting challenge but I remember my workmates at the time, they were like how are you not really stressed? How are you not like, working every hour under the sun? And I was just like, because I work myself sick and then we'd have nothing coming in. <laughs> I was just like, what would be the point of that? And I was just like, I knew, I know where my trust is. Um, God has been faithful. Yes. Thank you, love. Amen. And so who had the verses John 6? Do you want to... So this is... Jesus feeds the 5,000. You may know the story. Uh, there's a, a boy with a, a loaf and some fishes and he comes and brings his packed lunch to Jesus because Jesus has been teaching a crowd of thousands of disciples say we should send them home because these guys are hungry they've been there a couple of days now they really need to eat and Jesus says well we'll provide for them we shouldn't send them home let's provide for them what have we got and the disciples are like we haven't got anything and then a little boy comes imagine like Lydia's age Lydia comes up with a packed lunch I've got a, a fish and some loaves Jesus is this any good and we could look at what is that Look at all these people. Are you, are you silly? Look at all these people. This isn't going to feed them. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus takes the, the simple, the small amount that's been given, but it's everything. Like the widow's might, it's everything. It's the boy's lunch. And he's saying, I'll give it to you if it will help. And he gives it. Jesus takes it, breaks it, gives it to God and blesses it. And then amazingly, somehow, supernaturally, by the grace of God, the little that was given was more than enough for everyone in that they're gathering back baskets of, of leftover bread and all sorts of stuff. It doesn't make any sense, but it's in there. What did you guys get from that? We talked about how um, God involves us in his plan. So at the beginning of it, it says um, Jesus asked the disciples what they should do, although he already knew what he was going to do. Um, but also the fact that, um, that Jesus didn't need that packed lunch to feed the farm. Mm. He could have just yeah. 
created the food. Um, but he kind of asked us to be part of what he's doing. So our, our small amounts are still part of God's plan, and that's an honour, and it just shows God's character and care for us. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. And it's again this thing what does Jesus want? Everything. everything. Well done, Daniel. Everything. So hopefully you got the point. Jesus wants everything. And it's this simple step of obedience and trust. If you love me, you'll obey my teachings, what Jesus says to the disciples. It's this thing of just bringing the little that we've got. I don't know about you, sometimes I look at our finances and I feel like we've got a little. I'm like, what's this going to do? How are we going to affect Sittingbourne with what we've got in the church budget? How are we going to affect with the, 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 the little that we're giving every month? And I know there's others of you that are faithfully giving every month and sometimes you look at it and you think, oh my gosh, is this going to go far enough? And amazingly, we've always got what we need. Not necessarily what we want, but we've always got what we need. Because the Lord wants to bless us. He wants to invite us along on an adventure of faith where he is the one who's providing. He is the one. It's all his anyway. And so this little boy, is like there's a verse that says, the earth is the Lord's and everything thereof. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Everything is God's. Everything is Jesus's. And so all we're doing is when we bring it to him, he's recognising, God, you could use this, because this is yours. But as soon as we slip into that, you can't use this, because this is mine. Like, I know that's never the heart, but there's something in that. When we say, this is mine, I've earned this. Jesus, you don't have access to this part. This is mine. That's a real, like... You know, I use the word putrid, and that's never the heart, but that's where it, it, it stinks. And as a family, like we, we've lived in the good of not thankfully falling into that. And, and what ends up happening, you end up robbing yourself of seeing Jesus do the miracle if you would entrust it to him. It doesn't always mean we're going to have more than enough at the end of it, but there's a joy. Like when we gave that money to our, like, to our friends to get them free from debt, I didn't feel like we, we'd made a huge sacrifice. We were so happy. It was really odd. Like, I've never been, like, I've been happy, but it was an odd, like, God gave us a, a supernatural joy. Like, well, that is so fun. It was so fun. And I know there's others of you who sacrifice giving to food bank, whether it be resources, whether it be food, but there's a real blessing in giving. Um, Lewis, could you just put the verse up for me, the, the first one? There's a, a, a verse in Luke 6. I don't think we're looking at Luke 6. No, but I just want to read it out. Maybe we could all read it out together. I'll, I'll read it and let's all read it out together. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And so I don't know what you think when you read verse like that, but this is Jesus talking to his disciples and he says give firstly what's the instruction from Jesus give there's an expectation give and if when you give somehow you're going to get stuff back whether it be time talent treasure whatever it is there's a sense that God wants to bless you as you give he's going to return something to you and it's going to be a good measure it's going to be pressed down it's going to multiply it's going to be like oil pouring out from heaven that's going to end up all over you in your lap and because by the measure you use it will be measured to you And so if you say to Jesus, sorry, this is mine, this area is locked off, I'm going to manage this, you do what you want with what you've got, you're going to live in the poverty of not believing Jesus that he wants to actually return to you something else. 
as soon as you crack that door open like that guy said I shovel it out he shovels it in way quicker if you're not shoveling it out you're not going to experience the Lord shoveling it in quicker that would be my encouragement and then you guys you had the last one what was that? Uh, it was the rich fool wasn't it? And I'm just going to read this verse quickly. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He said, I will tear down my barns and I will build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. I can take life easy, eat, drink and be merry. And then it says that Jesus said after that, the Lord called him a foolish, uh, a foolish builder. Uh, sorry, a rich fool. And that actually that very night he would die. And all his stuff would stay in his barn, where he'd kept it, and he would never get to live in the good of it. Because the heart of God wasn't that he would just store it up for himself, but that he would crack open the door and say, Jesus, look what you've given me. You've got complete access. And he would use it. What did you guys get from that? Who's going to share? Is it Kai? No, so it's just saying, like, I don't say like all your stuff here, because you could die tomorrow, and then like, no one's going to get it, so it's better that you, like, use it for, like, good purposes. So you can then like have it afterwards. That's brilliant. Thank you, Kai. And so yeah, it's it's the same thing. What does God want access to? Everything. Well done, Danielle. Yes, he wants access to everything. And what I want to do, just read now to you a verse from the Old Testament. It's right near the end. And uh, and this is in Malachi. And it says this, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. So this is God speaking to the nation of Israel. He's speaking to us. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. That tithing is something that many of us in the church have decided to do, which is where you try and give a tenth um, of your pre-tax earnings. Basically, is how we would talk about it as a leadership team. Try and give a tenth. Uh, that is a biblical thing. They used to be in an agrarian culture, so they were, were farmers and so they, what they would do is they would give a tenth of their crop to the Levites. The Levite tribe of the 12 tribes of Israel were basically the priests. They weren't to work at all. Their work was to be in the temple, honouring God, worshipping, praying, helping lead the people spiritually. And so God had put within the fabric and the framework of the Israelite nation was that all the other 11 tribes would give a tenth of everything that they produced and they grew and their crops. They would give the very first tenth, the best tenth, to God, to his Israelite people, to the Levites, so that it would basically sustain them, but also be a blessing for the poor who would benefit from that as well. And so for us, kind of think, well, we're not in an agrarian culture, but I would say the same is the same. Don't give God the last 10% if you've got it at the end of the month. Make it a habit of giving him the first 10%. Sow it into the life of the local church. I'm not the person that decides how it's spent. Myself and the trustees, or Natalie, Adam Vogt, Dave King... We make decisions together with our trustees on how money might be used, on who gets employed, on what, what projects in the town we might support. Give God your first fruits is the principle here and because he, he wants to bless you in, in doing that. And so bring the whole tithe, the whole 10% into the storehouse, lay it at the feet, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. This is the only time in the Bible God ever asks us to test him. You find me another example where God says, test me. God says, test me in this. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. You know that, like that guy said? He gives 90% and 
and as quickly as he shovels it out, God somehow shovels it in quicker. This is what God's saying. If, if his people would be obedient in their generosity, in their faithfulness, in their obedience to the instructions and the invitation of God, the, the, the little that we've got, even if it's the mites, two coins, even if it's the boy and the two fishes, with his loaves and two, two fishes, what the Lord wants to do is take that and multiply that. And in doing that, he's going to multiply it and he's going to bless us so that we can then keep on blessing and blessing and blessing and as quickly as we're shoveling it out to bless the nations that we've been appointed to, like Abraham was the father of the nations. As we try and serve sitting born in loads of ways because there's just this resource from heaven coming from God's people, God is going to bless us. He'll bless you in your workplace. He'll bless you with your finances. I, I promise you, as we're obedient to this, you'll start to find that opportunities present themselves. It's, it's just the way that God works. It's his economy. We've lived in the good of it. I can stand wholeheartedly and say, this is how God works. And he encourages us to participate. It's like, come and play with me. Test me in this. See if I'm telling the truth. I'm a covenant-keeping God. Test me in this. And so can I pray? We'll finish there. Like, I've been going on a little while. It's nearly half 11. So let's pray. King Jesus, we thank you so much for your lavish generosity, for your lavish grace that you sent your one and only son so that he might lay his life down so that we would be led into freedom. And in a similar spirit, you want us to lay our life down. You want us to recognize that all we have is from you, that you've entrusted our time, our talent, our treasure to us to bless you and to bless the world around us. It's not to center on ourselves, but we're to become a conduit of your blessing to the nations. And that as we increasingly like, rip the doors off of that room that's maybe locked up, you're going to shovel in far more than we could ever shovel out. And then it becomes an adventure of faith. Could we go again? Could we go again? Wow, I'm so blessed by God. Could we go again? Let's keep going and see what the Lord might do. And so, Lord, we invite you to pour out your blessing upon us. We offer you our loaves and our two fishes, our two coins, the little that we've got, and say, Lord, would you prove yourself faithful? We want to test you in this. Not for our own benefit so that we can get all the trinkets and lie down there like blackbirds. But we say, Lord, would you do amazing things so that we can become a conduit of blessing. Not just to sit in one, but to swell and the nations. That we will become a church, planting church that's able to release and send people all over the nations to establish the kingdom of God in new ways. Lord, we look at the little that we've got and we say, Lord, it's not enough. But when your hands, it's more than enough. When we try and figure it out ourselves, we don't know what to do with it. Lord, loosen our grip. Loosen the grip of our hearts on the things that you've entrusted us. Lord, I pray for promotions. I pray for job changes. I pray for uh, tax rebates. I pray for bills to change. I pray for people to find like inheritance, inheritances and unlock treasure. That you would open up doors of blessing. That you would open up time in the diary and in calendars where people feel so stressed and overwhelmed with the busyness of life. Lord, we pray that you would give us more margin in the week. We pray, Lord, that you would expand and grow our talents and our gifts so that we might serve the town that you've placed us in. We're not here for ourselves. And, Lord, we recognise we haven't got much to give. There's only a few of us here this morning. It feels almost comical talking about reaching nations with 12 people in a room. But, Lord, we trust you because in your hand, 12 people is enough. You literally reach the world through 12 disciples. And we say, Lord, would you do the same through us, through our obedience, we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.